All right, joining us now, talking a little college football, Stuart Mandel, one of the best when it comes to covering the sport, kind enough to join us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Stuart, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? I'm doing well. Uh, I want to go to uh, a conversation, I I guess a text exchange, uh, with several of your uh, colleagues in regards to the upcoming season. And let's start with BYU. Um, Not a lot of high expectations for BYU this year. Is it because of... Uh, the schedule or because of the talent that BYU has returning this season? Uh, I think it's, it starts with the schedule. Um, obviously, they do have a lot of question marks to answer, but so do most teams right now. But that's a pretty unforgiving uh, first month of the season. Obviously, Utah, Tennessee, USC, Washington, even that game at Toledo. Toledo is going to be one of the better teams, if not the best team in the MAC this season. So, um, I mean, it's just brutal. There's no other way to put it. And so they could be a decent team. But I think that getting to 500 will be a challenge for this team. Yeah, it may be fair. It may be unfair. But 5-7, and seven, uh, Scotty and Stewart, I don't think Kalani Sataki survives that. Do you? I wouldn't think so. Not after the, uh, uh, you know, he's been digging out of a hole from, the, from two seasons ago. Obviously, they got a lot better last season. But if they take a step back and don't reach a bowl game, you know, I think that'll definitely be problematic. But... Uh, you know, as they, this schedule is not set up to have obviously a dream season kind of year. Um, but I do think, you know, I think a bowl game is certainly attainable, but it's definitely going to involve beating a couple teams. It's certainly going to involve beating at least one or two of those power five teams in the first month. Stuart Mandel, kind of enough to join us right here on 97.5, told they did the zone. Where are you on Utah? Are you drinking the uh, Utah Kool-Aid like a lot of other people are? I am. I'm just a little worried because it seems like everybody else is. I have yet to see a, uh, a set of preseason predictions that had somebody else winning the Pac-12 South. So to go from, you know, finally uh, reaching the title game last year to the unanimous pick this year makes you uh, a little nervous. I noticed that uh, on the athletic, Chris Camarani's mailbag today, his Utah mailbag, two of the questions were about people worried that they might be uh, – how are they handling being the favorite? You know, the high expectations for this season. But at least in terms of the football, uh, especially in that division, they appear to be the most complete team. And in fact, um, you know, the team that I picked to win the Pac-12. By the way, Stuart, congratulations on hiring Chris Comerani. He is a major talent. I think you're going to like his work. We're thrilled to have Chris. Yeah, he's been going for about a month now, doing great work. Yeah. Uh, this is a funny question to ask, but what the hell's wrong with USC? And will Urban Meyer end up coaching that team? Well, you know, the problems that USC start at the very top, it's really been uh, just a comedy of errors by that administration in the last couple of years. They've been dealing with, you know, various scandals on the university front, but in terms of the athletic department, they hired a guy in Lynn Swan who was not remotely qualified for the AD job. Uh, he was a little bit... Um, saddled with the fact that his predecessor, Pat Hayden, gave Clay Helton a five-year guaranteed contract um, when he probably, you know, didn't need to. But then Lynn Swan made it even worse by giving him a big extension. So they're kind of just stuck with him. Uh, and some people might, on the outside, might say, well, wait a minute, he took him to a Rose Bowl win. He took him to the Pac-12 title. What's so bad about Clay Helton? The USC fans have the highest of expectations. They expect to be a national title contender, and they haven't and even before last year, you know, they weren't at that level. Every time they would play an, um, an Ohio State in the bowl game or Alabama in Arlington, they would just get crushed. So, uh, 
they're going to, you know, this has probably gone a year on too long. I rarely can remember a coach who, not that he's coaching for his job, it's that everybody seems to have already fired him uh, and is just waiting for the for the implosion to happen. But Urban Meyer, um, it's going to be the storyline that hovers over this whole season because he's going to be there in L.A. every week on a set with Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart. Uh, you know, if, if Clay Helton gets off to a rough start, the questions are going to start very early. And we just don't know if that's what he wants to do. I think he... Uh, Urban is a guy who believes what he believes at that moment, and I'm sure he believes right now he's not going to go back to coaching because of the health issues. But we'll see if he still feels that way um, halfway through the season if he's tired of sitting behind a desk. One of the problems with SC is is a question right raises a question that we often ask, and I wanted to ask you. They had a scrimmage the other day, and uh, they say that the freshman kid down there is the one that looked the best. Uh, how difficult is it in this day and age for a freshman to come in and make an impact? I know there have been examples of that around the country, but it, it doesn't happen all that often, does it? With with quarterback or with any, yeah, with any position? Yeah, at quarterback, yeah. Well, I really think we've seen it start to turn in a lot just in the last few years. Uh, you know, over the years, if you were starting a true freshman quarterback, that wasn't necessarily a good thing. I mean, you didn't have a, any better options, but – Guys are just coming into college so better prepared than ever before. You know, obviously we saw a true freshman last year in Trevor Lawrence lead his team to the national title. Uh, Tua the year before obviously only played the second half of the title game, but he was a true freshman. And then Jake Fromm is a true freshman for Georgia a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I know North Carolina is probably going to be starting one this year. A couple other teams. So you know, they just they come into college better prepared than ever because of the train of private uh, quarterback training and the Elite Eleven circuit. Uh, and also just because the offenses are much more quarterback friendly than they used to be in college. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to create some unfair expectations that everybody thinks their true freshman quarterback is going to be, uh, is going to be another Trevor Lawrence. He's the exception. I really, you know, JT Daniels last year for SC really was more what you would expect of a true freshman, a talented true freshman quarterback. He had his moments. I remember, you know, they beat Washington, he beat Washington State. You know, he had a great performance in that game and that, kept them out of the playoff contention. But, you know, at the end of the day, USU is 5-7. and seven. Stuart Mandel, kind enough to join us from The Athletic. If you have not registered and uh, have your account with The Athletic, I highly suggest you do so. I'm happy to be a subscriber for a couple of years now and uh, love every second of it. Uh, you guys are doing some incredible work there. I want to talk a little bit about um, Utah State, uh, hanging with the uh, group of five in the Mountain West, but uh, Jordan Love's come back for another season. What are your thoughts on uh, Gary Anderson returning to Logan and what this team could do this year? Well, I'm very excited about Jordan Love. I definitely think he has a chance to be, uh, you know, one of the group of five stars this season. I've, I've already seen his name pop up on lists of draft, you know, top draft quarterbacks for next year. Obviously, it's an unusual situation, though, to have not just a coaching change, but to have Gary Anderson coming back. I really thought, as I think I talked to the guys about this a few months ago, that he was done as a head coach after the way things ended at Oregon State. Um, I know there was a lot of tension during that coaching search last year um, where a lot of very important people wanted nothing to do with him and a lot of very important people wanted to, to make sure it happened. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, obviously, with Jordan Love, he has a chance, you know, starting with that game at Wake Forest, to, um, to have a special kind of season, to, to frankly be in contention for that you know, group of five, uh, New Year's six birth. And if so, everybody's going to say they were geniuses for bringing him back. 
Stuart, when we compare conferences, uh, a lot of people look at the fact that the Pac-12 hasn't had a team in the in the playoff in a while, and the SEC gets a lot of attention in that regard, and Clemson has brought some of that. But what do you make of what's going on in the Pac-12? Is is it that there is a lot of quality in the conference so that one team can't emerge uh, with a glistening record? Or do you think it is a true reflection that the Pac-12 is down? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been down the last couple of years, and it showed in, in non-conference and in bowl season. You know, two years ago, they only won one bowl game. Uh, Utah yeah. did. So I don't think it's a case of everybody knocking each other off. Now, you know, it is a little funny to me that uh, a decade ago when USC was dominating the Pac-12, everybody complained that it was a one-team conference. You know, now, because you don't have a Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State in that conference right now, it reflects poorly on the whole conference. Because definitely, uh, I mean, look at the ACC. The ACC is no better than the Pac-12, if not worse, as a whole. But they have the reigning national champion in their conference, and and that, you know, kind of everybody benefits by, by association. So, um, I you know, on paper going into the season, it doesn't seem like they have that team either this year. And, you know, whether talking about Washington or Utah or Oregon, uh, those all have a chance to win the conference, maybe sneak into the playoff. They don't seem like, um, you know, but they don't seem like obvious top five teams like you have, you know, earlier this decade. So as much as everybody is, uh, and, and believe me, if you look at the mailbag questions I get, the comments on our stories, there's a lot of self-loathing going on right now with Pac-12 fans. Like, they're never going to get out of this cycle. And I just want to say, guys, short memory here. I mean, it was, it was not that long ago that Marcus Mariota was playing in the national championship game and, and Oregon and Stanford would play these huge games where they're both in the top five or top ten. You know, I don't think it'll be long before they're back to that just because of the quality of coaches in that conference right now is very strong. When you look at, uh, well, let's go back last year this time. There were a lot of conversations about if the Pac-12 is going to get back on the national scene, Washington has got to beat Auburn in the opener. Well, Washington didn't. Auburn wasn't particularly great, and uh, and it kind of set the Pac-12 behind the eight ball. Similar situation this year, only it's Oregon playing Auburn. So with that said, how important is that game, not just for Oregon, but for the Pac-12? Yeah, very important, much like last year. You know, this game's not getting quite as much hype because uh, I believe Washington and Auburn were both in the top 10 this, uh, last year. Uh, these are going to be more in the, well, the poll just came out. They're in the, the teens. I think Auburn's 16th. Um, but that being said, you know, the Pac-12 only gets so many chances to, to play and beat a ranked SEC team uh, in a non-conference game. You know, uh, Stanford's playing Northwestern. I don't think Northwestern cracked the poll, but, you know, they won their division last year. They play at UCF, and obviously – both them and SC play Notre Dame, you got to win some of those games uh, for the conference to get some respect and for the conference to be in the playoff race. You know, the hardest thing for the Pac-12 teams is the schedules they play. Uh, it's not, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that the SEC and ACC have yet to miss the playoff, and they're the two that only play eight conference games. The Pac-12 plays nine, and most of their school schedule pretty ambitiously out of conference. So, you know, you got to win those games uh, because it's unrealistic it's not very often uh, that a team goes undefeated in Pac-12 play. Stuart, nobody covers college football more than you do. You've been all over this for a long, long time. So the question to you is the AP poll comes out and the usual suspects at the top. Is there enough variation at the top of college football to peak, to keep your interest peaked? 
do you think it would be helpful if there were newcomers, fresh blood that would come in more frequently than it does? I think the the, the problem right now is not that there's, you know, there are, it does seem like there's a small select number of teams that are dominating the sport, too, to be in particular. Um, and they're all in the same part of the country. So, when I, you know, if you look back at the history of college football, there's always been whatever era you're in, uh, there's always two or three programs that were the dynasties of that time. But they were usually a little more spread out, whether it's Florida State and Nebraska in the 90s. Uh, you know, if you go back to last decade, USC would have been considered one of them. You know, now to have all the, the reigning powers in the southeast and, you know, the, the, the playoff, uh, you know, if my field for this year has three southeast teams in it, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia. You know, that's not great for fans in the Midwest of the and in, in Texas and the West Coast. They feel like they're not part of the same sport. So uh, now the sport is very popular. The TV ratings for the championship games have by no means been a disaster. Um, you know, there is still very strong interest, but. Uh, you know, I thought when Ohio State won the first playoff that that was going to be a sign of things to come and, and it would feel like a more of a national sport. Because remember, that was not long after the SEC had won seven in a row. But here we are, it's, you know, Alabama-Clemson seemingly every year, the number one and two again going into the season. I don't even think if Georgia won, which would be, you know, new blood, and I think they could win the national title, I don't know that that'll feel much different because they're another SEC team uh, in that same part of the country. Stuart, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, enjoy the kickoff of the season later this week, and I uh, look forward to catching up with you again here soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Stuart Mandel uh, joining us from The Athletic. Huge fan of his work. Huge fan of the work at The Athletic. Um, I don't get a free subscription. I'm more than happy to pay for it. Uh, much like the Salt Lake Tribune, I think uh, good journalism is worth paying for, and uh, certainly The Athletic is one of them. Yeah, he's been doing that for, I mean, prior to his time at the athletic he's just been doing this for a long long time it's always fun we had him on austin what was that just like three weeks ago something like that was it longer ago than that oh that sounds about right yeah so it's always good to have him bring his insights so uh a lot to get to uh throughout the rest of the program roxy bernstein we hoping will join us coming up at five thirty. had a family uh thing he had to get taken care of but hopefully he'll join us yeah we're looking forward to chat with him one of the best uh play-by-play voices out there i want to ask him uh, if he has ever been tempted to say what the hell just happened during a play-by-play he's moment? way he's way more professional than that that's not, you got national acclaim for that i didn't i think i got nationally mocked no for doing that no no scotty you're reading that wrong as i should by the way completely unprofessional <laughs> I don't think so. Did you hear, Gor- was, Gordon asked uh, Greg Rebell if he was going to use that line at some point this year. Oh, did you? It was it was the perfect did thing. Did you really drop Greg Rebell? What was Greg Rebell? Did I say that? Hmm, I think you remember that. But, but here, <laughs> well, there's a few other words you could have chosen that might have gotten you in real trouble. Yeah, yeah. But, but for that moment, Scotty, we were watching that in the studio live, if I remember right. And when you said what you said... It was the perfect thing to say because nobody could believe what just took place. What the hell just happened? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never heard another play-by-play man say that, say that phrase. It was, uh, I'm not going to lie, there was a certain level of frustration because you want to feel like, because you feel like you're the eyes for your listening audience. And so with that comes a certain level of responsibility to know what the hell just happened. But, but, 
but the, it was unbelievable what took place. Utah State going up against Colorado State in a game that they had pretty much lost. Yeah, they, they, it was Colorado State had thrown the Hail Mary, the official signal touchdown, the celebration commenced, and then all of a sudden the officials came to midfield. There were some conversations. Then all of a sudden they announced that a kid stepped out of bounds before catching the ball, immediately making him ineligible. Game was over. Utah State had won. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? Uh, it was, uh, Austin, you need to play that at some point. And, and I'm I mean, sorry, I, I defamed you, Gordon. It was PK who recently asked oh, Gregor Bell if okay. he would say that. All right. All right. Did he really? I, you want to hear it? I got it here. It's short. I would, I would like short. to hear that. Last thing from me before we let you go, Greg. Who has the more talented play-by-play guy, BYU or Utah State? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, BYU's got the oldest of the two. How's that? All right. All right. Fair yeah. enough. That, that I know for sure. At least I think. Wow. It might maybe. I don't know. How old is Scotty? Uh, uh, what? You're like 41, 42. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, what I'm way older. What yeah. happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could you get away with saying what the hell just happened on a BYU broadcast? <laughs> uh, I don't think I'd want to try and find out what the outcome would be. Oh, come on, Greg. You could say it. It's in the Bible. I don't know if he could say that what on the mother What the hell show. just happened? I think he'd get in a little bit of trouble. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A little hellfire and damnation, you think? Yeah. Moses would show up in the locker room. Moses right? would show up like, thou shalt not do that, Greg. <laughs> nope. All right. Oh, 524. I've known some people who are big-time leaders in uh, a certain faith that uh, know how to sprinkle in a little... Uh, some expletives here and there. Yeah. Absolutely. They just won't do it on uh, they just won't do it at conference. <laughs> Again. Uh, yeah, Utah State, Colorado State, that's kind of like conference, yeah. Yeah. This is 975 1280 the zone.